Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Connecting the Dots to the Coronavirus and Beyond, 2 Kings 3, 26-27. Now, I'm just going to warn you, this sermon is a tough one. It's God's warning. Next Make sure you listen next week because it's part two, really, which is a comforting passage. They follow one after another, and both are very important. Both are a vital part of God's word. So I never made it to the farm for my dad's 80th surprise birthday party. It was canceled. Uh, brothers and sisters, I had to tell my dad, and we all talked about it, and it was canceled because of the virus and restrictions and all that going on. Now, my dad was born at the beginning of World War II, so he doesn't remember much about that. He remembers a little bit, but not much about what that was like. But he said, here he's 80 years old, he said he has never seen a time like this. All that's going on in the world, the political turmoil, the cultural civil wars, the virus, uh, so many things happening. Never seen anything like it. These are crazy times, crazy times. It's a good thing I've watched a few zombie movies because now I know how to survive. <laughs> uh, crazy out there, right? We are we are all basically self-quarantined, although our house is still a zoo. Uh, we have our kids and all the older ones in and out, all the coming back and hanging out and some staying. And But I heard there's going to be a 10-person limit soon per gathering, So, uh, which means some of the kids are going to have to go. I'm going to have to, uh, I don't know which ones, We'll have to have vote off the island or something, but I got to be careful that they might vote me out, which would probably happen. Crazy times, crazy times. Here I am preaching from Bob's basement. It's just like the underground church, which happens around much of the world. This is good preparation, actually, because the time is coming when the true church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ, will be persecuted in the USA, too. Also, in the USA here, Matthew 24, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. That includes the USA. And this this is God's preparation. This is no accident. All this is happening. God is preparing us. We also need to connect some dots, as we will see today from the life of Elisha. There are some dots to connect. It's no accident that we have landed on these two verses Right now, when the coronavirus has exploded in the USA today, we've been going through the life of Elisha. It's no accident that we hit these two verses for this time. Let's pray. Father, we pray that wherever people are today, we pray that your mercy and grace would be with each of us. We pray for your presence. We pray that we would hear from you, from your word, and and whatever you want to do in our life, move us forward spiritually. We know this is a refining time, that people would be moved forward spiritually, that our faith would grow, where a lot of fear is exposing where we're not living by faith. Uh, We thought we were and we're not, and just pray that our faith would grow. And I especially pray if anyone here who's listening to these, these words today, wherever they are, that they would, if they don't know you, if they've never put their faith in Jesus Christ and given their life to you, God, I pray that this time would be that time. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's review. We were in Second Kings chapter 3. And the last time, if you didn't hear the last one, make sure you go on the podcast or the YouTube, get caught up on it. But the last time we saw that King Joram of Israel invites King Jehoshaphat of Judah to join him in a war versus Moab. Now, Joram is an apostate king. He's not a follower of Jehovah. But, jo- 
Jehoshaphat does follow Jehovah. He is a godly king, but he doesn't pray here. He just jumps into this. He jumps into this uh, unequally yoked situation. He jumps into the frying pan. That's how he got the name Jumping Jehoshaphat. <laughs> if you ever watch the Looney Tunes, you know what I'm talking about. But Jumping Jehoshaphat. So we're just going to call him JJ from now on. And JJ ends up in the desert under discipline. And we saw how J.J. Jehoshaphat learns his lesson. He turned to God and to Elisha for guidance. He finds God's mercy and grace. And we looked at the spiritual lessons that we need to learn from this episode. Once again, go back, listen to the podcast, YouTube, follow along. And we saw the spiritual lessons, how to get out of a mess of our own making. We learned how to get out of a mess of our own making. And Elisha tells them to dig ditches in the desert, in the hot desert, God's discipline. And then God, after that, after he keeps them waiting overnight, he sends them a miraculous supply of water. And this is the same thing he does with us. When we're in a mess, when we're under discipline, we have to dig for God's mercy, and then we finally find his amazing grace. Elisha also prophesied, predicted an amazing victory over the enemy Moab and King Misha. And that's exactly what happens. We saw that last week, but I'm going to read you the verses, 2 Kings 3, 20-25. It says, The next morning, about the time for the offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Remember how we connected the dots there to Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and how he fulfilled that, okay? But then verse 21, Now all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them, so every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. When they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. To the Moabites across the way, the water looked red like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other. Now to the plunder, Moab. But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns and each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. They stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree. Only care Hereseth was left with its stones in place, but men armed with slings surrounded it and attacked it as well. But we see this amazing victory. Israel's on a roll, Judah's on a roll, this amazing victory. But the story and the chapter also end with a prophetic warning. Don't abuse God's mercy and grace. And we want to connect the dots to the USA today for this. And to connect those, let's go right to the next verse, 2 Kings 3, 26 and 27. When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they failed. Then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king, and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great, they withdrew and returned to their own land. Their victory comes to a screeching halt when the king of Moab sacrifices his son. They actually have found the stone marker set up by King Misha after this. It's called the Moabite stone. And in the stone, Misha is thanking his god Shemash for delivering him. That's who he sacrificed his son to, the demon god Shemash. When he carries out, carries out this vital act 
Israel's victory is blunted. Now they still defeated him, but the victory was blunted. It was like it was like the total victory was pulled out of their hands at the last second. It was like a, a buzzer beater at March Madness. Oh right, that's right. There is no March Madness this year, but it's a different kind of madness, right? Uh, the buzzer beater or the Hail Mary pass that saves the day for King Misha, and Misha ends up escaping and becoming a terrorist. He couldn't defeat them completely, but he becomes a terrorist. He terrorizes Israel. He becomes a, a thorn in their side. He makes his escape. Why? The Bible says here, because the fury against Israel was great. The word fury is also means wrath. The word in the Hebrew, in the Bible, always refers to divine judgment for sin. This was Jehovah's wrath that broke out. Now, what's, why? Why would a pagan king's human sacrifice cause God's wrath to break out on Israel's army? I'm going to say that again because it, it's really a, a crazy thing that happens here. Why would a pagan king's human sacrifice cause God's wrath to break out on Israel's army? Look at God's word. Let's connect the dots. First Kings 11, 7-8. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Shemash, the detestable god of Moab, and for Malak, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their god. We see that Solomon, long before this all happened with Elisha here and, and jumping Jehoshaphat, we see that way back in 1 Kings, Solomon had built a temple for Shamash. So look what God does in 1 Kings 11 verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not doing it, do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hands of your son, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen." So we see what God does. He divides the country. He divides it. And division is a sign of God's judgment on a country. Connect the dots. Today, we're not the United States of America, but we're the divided states of America. That is a sign of God's beginning judgment. Pay attention. And then we see down in First. Kings 11, verses 33 to 34 now. He says, I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemash, the god of the Moabites, and Malak, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in my ways, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my statutes and laws as David, Solomon's father, had done. They were worshipping Shemash way back here, and it kept on going all the way through. All the way through. So God divided the kingdom of Israel because they worshipped Shemash and Malak. The key is to understand what was involved with both, with the worship of both. And what was involved with both, intricately involved, commonly involved, was child sacrifice. Remember the king, King uh, Misha from Moab, what he did. Child sacrifice. All of the Canaanite idols, including the Baals, involved 
two things, sexual orgies and child sacrifice. What does that sound like today? Sexual sin and child sacrifice. But Shemash and Moloch, the reason they're mentioned so often, they were the worst. They were the most notorious. They were the most bloodthirsty demon gods that the people worshipped. So when the king of Moab sacrificed his son Shemash, his son to Shemash, when the king of Moab sacrificed his son to Shemash, it reminded God of what Israel was doing on a daily basis. Here God is trying to help them and he's reminded that, whoa, back in Israel, they're sacrificing their children all over the place. That's why his wrath broke out. That's why God ultimately, that's why he, his wrath broke out there, but that's why he ultimately judged both Israel and Judah. Child sacrifice was the last straw. It was the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable is God's last straw. In fact, let's go look at 2 Kings 23. In 2 Kings 23, up a little further, in 2 Kings, toward the end of the book, uh, 23, verse 26, it says, Nevertheless, this is when God is getting ready to judge Judah. Israel's already been judged. He's getting ready to judge Judah. He's going to send them into 70-year captivity. They're going to be slaughtered all over the country uh, uh, in Judah. Just before that, he says, Nevertheless, verse 26, The Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah, because of all that Manasseh had done to provoke him to anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah from my presence as I removed Israel and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose and this temple about which I said, there shall be my name. What did Manasseh do that was so bad? What was the final straw? Second Kings 21, 1 to 6. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab king of Israel had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry host. Verse 6, he sacrificed his own son in the fire. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced sorcery and divination, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking to anger. Verse 16, moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end beside the sins that he had caused Judah to commit so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He shed innocent blood. He in, he brought in and made common child sacrifice. Blood was flowing all over Jerusalem through child sacrifice. The shedding of innocent blood that was God's final straw. The reason why God finally judged Israel and Judah and the country came crashing down was because they was the demonic murder of their children. We see this in history. We see it worldwide. 
culture after culture. I read history and it's amazing to see the same pattern. Culture after culture, all throughout history, worldwide, they end up with sacrificing their children and then they experience God's final judgment. That it, the Americas, you know, we most people don't know about this, but the Americas, uh, because we don't teach history anymore. But in the Americas, both North America, South America, Central America, there was widespread human sacrifice and cannibalism and sexual depravity. The sexual orgies were here, and then the human sacrifice and the sacrifice of children and cannibalism was widespread. All over North America, South America, Central America, archaeologists are still finding, follow the news, they'll actually report this, they're still finding children's graveyards, these children that were ritually murdered, horribly murdered and mutilated and sacrificed to the demon gods that were worshipped in, in all over the Americas. And that's why God finally judged these nations that came before us. It's the same reason why he judged the Canaanites and Israel and the Judah and why he will connect the dots, why he will judge the USA today. We are next if we don't have a massive repentance. Now, before I go any further, I want to stress God's mercy and grace. Even if you've been involved with abortion, God's mercy and grace. If you have already gone to the throne of, of mercy, God's throne for mercy and grace, and you've already taken your involvement in abortion there, leave it there. This is not meant to bring back up old wounds. But if you never have, or if you've never got your full healing, you can do that now, anytime. Many women and men in our church are here that minister to other people that are, have gone through abortion. They've gotten their healing. They've helped other people go to the throne uh, to, to God's throne for mercy and grace and get their healing and work through the grieving and, and get their full healing. And if you're not from around here and you're not near our church, any crisis pregnancy center out there does the same thing. You just call the crisis pregnancy center. They will meet with you and, and, and compassionately take you through the healing process no matter what. But now let's connect some dots. Israel hitting the wall is the same thing the USA is experiencing today. We are hitting the wall. Just like Israel's army, the USA was on a roll. We had the best economy ever. The jobs and wages and the stock market. There's never been an economy in history like what we've experienced recently. But it has all come to a screeching halt because of the coronavirus. And it's all because a pagan leader got up and reminded God of something. Just like Misha got up and reminded God of something. A pagan leader here in the United States got up and reminded God of something of what the USA is also doing. Reminding God about our child sacrifices. Just before, and I was watching this closely, just before the coronavirus really hit the fan in the USA, we received a prophetic warning, not in church, but it was from a prophet unaware, from a very unlikely prophet, Senator Chuck Schumer. And Senator Schumer, I don't know if you followed it, but it was he was outside the Supreme Court with a mob, and, and they were upset that, that the Supreme Court was going to maybe make a ruling against abortion in some way and put Roe at risk. And listen to what he said outside. This is our prophet unaware. This is our pagan 
prophet reminding God of something. He says, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. But you won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what will hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Unbelievable. That is a prophetic statement by a pagan leader. He meant it as a threat not to touch abortion and ultimately don't touch Roe versus Wade. But he quoted scripture and this was prophetic, but not in the way he intended. It's actually coming back on him. It was a way that he didn't, ex didn't expect and didn't intend. In Hosea 8.7, he quoted part of Hosea 8.7, but I'm going to read you the whole passage. In Hosea 8.7, it says this, God speaking uh, through his prophet Hosea, he says, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. He left that part out. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. And what is he talking about? Down to verse 11. That was Hosea 8, 7, then we go down to verse 11. Though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, they have become altars for sinning. Altars for sinning. One of the main ways the altars were used for sin by this time was child sacrifice. They were burning children alive, which we already saw with Manasseh, burning them alive. And just like this, this, the pagan Misha, we see Schumer's threats and and we, we the whirlwind reference reminded God. It was prophetic. It reminded God of this verse, Hosea eight seven. And in and, and God remembers the whole verse. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. And the USA, since that happened, the USA has come to a screeching halt. A screeching halt, just like Israel's army. God is going to judge the USA for the sin of killing babies and the coronavirus is one of the warnings. It's a warning. And it's one of the warnings. Churches are all out there praying, God, please stop the virus. Listen, we need to change our prayers to something else. We need to change our prayers to God, please help us stop the murdering of babies so that you can stop this plague. I'm going to say it again. God, please help us to stop the murdering of babies so that you can stop this plague. The church in America is the main reason that we're facing judgment in the USA today. Because we have failed to be salt and light in the USA. Many mainline churches teach that abortion is okay. It's a woman's right. These Christians in these mainline churches and these churches teach that, and it's they're completely apostate. They do not know Jesus Christ. They're in for the shock of their life if they don't repent. They're in for the shock of their life when they finally do face Jesus. Complete apostasy. These are hell's evangelists. That is horrible what they're teaching. It's Christianity with a, spelled with a K or something. It's nothing to do with Jesus Christ. But even many evangelical churches won't preach about abortion won't preach against abortion, won't mention the word abortion. Why? Because they don't want to offend anyone. I even have friends of mine who are pastors and I pleaded with them, like, I just don't want to offend people. A lot of people, half my church would probably leave. I go, then, then you, you don't have a real church. You've been an unfaithful, I'm, you, know, I'm, you don't want to be my friend. You're, you're, you're being unfaithful. 
They don't want to offend. Yes, they'll support a crisis pregnancy center. That's how they salve their consciences. But but they'll never mention abortion from the pulpit. And I, and I say and I say to every pastor, if you're not preaching about abortion, there will be no conviction. There will be no healing. Well, it's not in the Bible. Yes, it is in the Bible. It says, "Thou shalt not kill." And child sacrifice is all over the Bible. That was God's final straw. It's in the Bible, and you better be preaching it. Because if you don't, your people will not have a biblical worldview. They will be sucked into the world. There will be no conviction and no healing. And the result of this unfaithful ministry is the church is just like the world. Just like the world. We are bringing judgment in. It's just like the world. I once saw a stat years ago that out of a a million abortions, out of a million abortions, 200,000 of them were were carried out in that given year by people who self-identified as born-again Christians. That's right. Out of a million abortions, 200,000 were by people who thought they were born again, who were claimed to be born again. And another 300,000 were by people who claimed to be Roman Catholic. Think about that. We could cut the killing of babies in half without even a law being passed. If just the, the church... Those who claim to, to be followers of Jesus Christ would repent and stop killing their babies. And let's not forget the Plan B pill. How many people use that? And the birth control pill. That's right. The birth control pill is an abortificant. Christians take it like candy. They've been completely deceived. It's an abortificant. How it works, the birth control pill tries to keep conception from happening. But when conception does occur, and it does even when you use the pill at a a certain percentage of time, then it keeps that conceived egg, that new life, from attaching and it causes it to die. Nobody knows for sure how often. It's anywhere from 1% to 50%. Let's just say it's 10%, which would be considered a low percentage. That's a lot of babies that are dying, conceived babies that are dying because of the pill. I won't even marry a couple anymore if they won't commit to not using the birth control pill. Not birth control. Birth control is a conscience conscience issue. But but they have to commit to me that they won't use a birth control method that is an abortificant. And that's what the birth control pill does. Read the box. It says it right on the box. I, I had a couple who were like, oh, is that really true? They went and talked to their doctor because they were going to use the birth control pill. And the doc- they said, listen, we were told that the birth control pill works as an abortificant. Is that true? And the doctor said, of course it is. What's the big deal? Do you have a problem with that? Doctors know it. They're not stupid. It, 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 we have fallen for so many lies with these babies. And another lie we've fallen for is so many Christians don't vote pro-life. If we, if, imagine if every Christian voted pro-life, we could overturn Roe overnight. We could give it a death blow overnight. It's shocking the number of people who claim to be Christians who don't vote pro-life. Now, I'm not saying we should vote for someone just because they're pro-life. We might not like a certain candidate. They're pro-life, but we don't like them. Doesn't mean we have to vote for them, but it sure does mean we shouldn't vote for someone who's pro-choice. No Christian should possibly vote for someone who believes abortion is okay and, and works toward that. And, and I'll, I'll talk to Christians about this and we have some discussions, heated discussions, and I said, would you vote for, they say, well, I, I like this candidate. The only thing I don't agree with this is the abortion part, so I'm, I'm okay. I said, okay, let's, let's look at it this way. 
would you vote for that candidate if they were, but you agreed with everything, but they thought slavery was okay? Or they thought rape was okay? Or they thought pedophilia was okay? Would you vote for them? You agreed with everything else, but just not the, the, well, one, one of those issues. Oh, no, I would never do that. I go, well, so you're telling me that those are worse than the murder of a baby? You've been brainwashed by the world. You've been conformed to the world if you can do that. I'm telling you, you've been conformed to the world and be, instead of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Voting pro-life is a matter of life and death. Life and death. The Democrats just blocked the born alive bill. Were you following that? They just blocked it from from moving forward and passing. The born alive bill is when, when you're aborting a baby and many babies are aborted way along, way along could survive easily. A baby survives the abortion. They come out and here's a live baby sitting there and the born alive bill required doctors to keep that baby alive and to save it. And they blocked that from happening. And the media and the Democrats say, oh, it's rare, it's rare. No, it's not. That is a lie. That's a demonic lie. It's not rare. I We had a family friend. I remember years ago, it was like 20 years ago, family friend. This was 20 years ago. It's been going on widespread all over the country. And and the, the they were, got a job at a hospital, a local hospital. And they ended up getting a job on the, abor- the floor where they do abortions. They were cleaning. Their job was to clean that area, that floor. And, and this person said it wasn't so bad during uh, during the day, it was loud and all the stuff was going on. And I was a little creeped out knowing what was going on. But at night, at night, I could hear noise. It sounded like mice running across plastic. It sounded like little mice running around. And I went to investigate what it was as I was doing my job. And I saw in these plastic bags, there were the babies still moving around inside the plastic bags. They were alive, dying slowly. Don't tell me it's rare. That's a lie. What is rare are pro-life Democrats that are that are, and thank God there's still a courageous few. I'll just read this one. It's, here's a title: Meet the pro-life Democrat behind one of the Supreme Court's most controversial cases for 2020. Pro-life Democrat, Louisiana State Senator Katrina Jackson. And I'll just read you a few things. She's getting hammered because of what what she's doing and how she's trying to stop it and what she's involved with the Supreme Court ruling. And But she said she's been attacked all the time. But what the criticism that most hurts her isn't arguments about choice. It's the suggestion that she can't be a black Democrat and oppose abortion. She says, that's what really bothers me. For me, it was a Christian issue. She said, one day she was studying her Bible and focused on Proverbs 6, which outlines six things that God hates. And and her bishop connected one of those, the shedding of innocent blood, to abortion. And for the first time, it clicked. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to truly follow God, I'm going to have to hate what he hates. I know Christians who vote, you know, they're not, don't have a problem with abortion, but, but they don't like other things. And I said, those issues aren't something that God hates, uh, things I don't like, but they're not things that God hates. You better start with the things that God hates. And killing babies, shedding of innocent blood is one of the main ones. This is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual battle. This is spiritual warfare. 
Imagine if the Church of Jesus Christ reacted to abortion like they have to the coronavirus, with the same fears and the same prayers. Imagine if the Church of Jesus Christ reacted to abortion with the same urgency, same urgency that they've reacted with, with the coronavirus, with the same urgency to save the lives of babies as to protect their own lives. What if they had the same urgency to save the lives of babies as they have to save their own lives because of this virus? Can you imagine? Planned Parenthood would be shut down instead of the churches shutting down. That's right. Instead of churches shutting down today, Planned Parenthood would be shut down. And not just because of the virus. The, the, all the churches are shut down because of the virus. But churches have been shutting down all over America all the time, every day, every week, shutting down. And speaking, uh, Planned Parenthood would be shut down instead. And speaking of Planned Parenthood, just to, once again, to, to understand why God's wrath is there and what we're allowing to go. I don't know if you've been following the story because most of the news sites, there's a few, but most of them won't even report on this or tell the truth about this. They're, 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 they're lying. But there's, there's a, a couple people in California that are facing a decade in San Quentin for for the undercover videos of Planned Parenthood and what they're doing. Now, understand something, first of all. The sale of fetal tish, tissue for profit is illegal under federal law. That's right. Selling aborted babies is illegal for profit under federal law. All right? You say, well, of course it is. Well, <laughs> okay. The, these... These two people went undercover. They pretended they were part of a, a biotech company. They called themselves Biomax procurement services. Um, they recorded their conversations with Planned Parenthood abortion people and the, the practices and the harvesting that were going on. And then they released the video footage of their undercover investigation showing the Planned Parenthood leaders and representatives uh, of biomedical companies callously discussing dis extracting unborn children, abortion, from the womb so their body parts could be collected and sold for research. This is fact. You can watch it. Go, on, go online and watch these videos. The medical director for Planned Parenthood said of the advanced bioscience resource in one video, they're doing big collections for government-level collections. As already reported, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, had purchased the body parts of aborted babies from ABR. And the National Institute of Health, the NIH, similarly purchased organs, specifically livers and thymuses, and seeking a cure for HIV. You wonder what is why God's sending plagues? Listen to this. The government has also issued grants for projects at universities such as the University of San Francisco that use the remains of the unborn children in testing via humanized mice. Humanized mice. In another video, Planned Parenthood medical director, a director, nonchalantly munches on salad, sips wine as she talks about adjusting the child so as not to crush certain organs during the extraction, the abortion, due to the demand of certain body parts. I'd say a lot of people want the liver, and for that reason, we use the ultrasound as guidance so that we can put the forceps in the right place and not damage the liver. We've been very good at getting the heart, lung, liver, because we know that, so I'm not going to crush that part. I'm going to basically crush below. Another video shows a president of a Planned Parenthood's medical director council haggling with the undercover investigators about the compensation for fetal organs laughing, hey, I want a Lamborghini out of this. 
Other footage shows an actual aborted baby being dissected in a dish with an assistant declaring, another boy. And one video shows an abortionist laughing about harvesting an intact head and how if they could really do that, it would be something to really strive for. And they they take these babies and buy them from Planned Parenthood for $60 and end up getting $6,000 for them And when they take all the parts out. And Planned Parenthood claimed these videos were deceptively edited. And that's the, the story that most of the media has told. And people are, are hearing that and believe it. But they have, but these two journalists have publicly released the entire recording in their entirety. So you can see exactly what is being said. And this is what they said. They said, we, what we did, the two of these people talking, what we did is no different from what local news sources and local news outlets do every single day here in the state of California when they go undercover and publish undercover hidden camera news stories. The only difference is that we went after and we recorded and we exposed the sacred cows of the California political establishment, Planned Parenthood. Unbelievable. How many of you even know that? It's, it's, it's there. It's out there. Anybody can watch it. But the news, the media has tried very hard to keep the truth. The propaganda machines have tried to keep the truth. This is a spiritual war. And only prayer and faithful courage will win this war. Only prayer and faithful courage will the church wake up. It's the only way the USA has any chance there has to be a revival. There has to then move that revival from the church into a spiritual awakening in the country. And then, and only then, will the USA repent of the evil of murdering babies. Then and only then will, will doctors and women and men, their hearts be convicted and broken and hearts changed and realize the the gift of life and, and, and how precious it is and how serious it is that, that what the sin is doing to our country. You, we, I, I've studied Hezekiah's revival. You study that revival and the results, the, re, the revival starts out with repentance and purifying, penance and purifying and, and getting back to a true worship of God. And then after that, the result of the revival. After it's all done, Second Chronicles 31.1, they got rid of the altars, the high places. And the key is, that's exactly where the babies were sacrificed on, where these high places. The revival had to happen first before they would finally get rid of these altars that the babies were sacrificed in. How is God convicting us today? How is He calling us to wake up? What is He calling us to do we as Christians are called to spiritual victory, to live in victory, to, to, to be salt and light and, 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 and make an impact where we live. What is blocking our total victory? Perhaps it's our attitude, our, our not caring about child sacrifice the way that God cares about it. Maybe you're listening today and you're still carrying the guilt and shame of an abortion. Forgiveness is a prayer away. A prayer away. If you're from New Hope Community Church, I would encourage you to talk to me or Kim and we'll connect you with someone that will pray. I'll pray with you. Kim will pray with you, but we'll connect you with someone else who can pray with you and help you find your healing. And once again, if you're not local here and you're hearing this somewhere else, any crisis pregnancy center has volunteers ready to do the same thing to help you find your healing. But the first step 
is to come to the cross. The first step is to become a Christian. The first step is to come to the cross and find your forgiveness and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is the first step for every one of us, whether it's abortion or any sin. That's the, that's, sin separates us from God and, and we're under God's wrath. But because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be under his wrath. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We have to choose life or wrath. As individuals, as a country, as a church, we have to choose life or wrath. And we can all come because of God's love, for God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he made a way for us to find forgiveness, for a way to have a relationship with him once again, that sin has put a wall between us, but God has made a way by sending his son Jesus to be our substitute, to die in our place on that cross, to shed his blood, to wash away our sin. He died on the cross in our place. And if we will believe in him, the word for believe means faith. It's a deep, deep word. It doesn't mean just intellectual. It's from the heart. It means to completely put your trust in Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? You can do that today. Right this moment. Let's pray. If you're here listening to this right now and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can do that now. You can have a brand new life now. All sin, all shame, all regret can be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in him and what he did on the cross in our place, and not only the cross, but he came back from the dead. He rose again from the dead to prove he was the son of God and to show us he has the power to give us a brand new life. You can have that by a simple prayer of faith. Nothing you have to do to earn it. There's no religious person that can help you. There's no religious right that you have to do. It's a prayer of faith between you and God. God, please forgive me for everything I've ever done against your word, against your will, against what you want. Please forgive me. I repent. I turn away I walk away from that. Please forgive me. I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I give my life to Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, that something amazing has happened, you have become a brand new person. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are a brand new person. You have a brand new life. You have a brand new relationship with God. You can talk to him anytime, anywhere, for anything. Coming to him through faith daily, through his son Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you have taken that step of faith, that you let somebody know. Let someone know. Tell me, tell, tell somebody so that we can encourage you and be excited for you. 
for those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How is he calling us to be salt and light? How is he calling us to, to really be the church of Jesus Christ? What is he calling us to pray for and to fast for? What is he calling us to do? What is he calling us to do? Especially in this area of saving babies, of saving lives. Father, I pray that you would work in each of us, that there would be a revival, a revival in your church, in your true church, a revival that would spread as a spiritual awakening. And Lord, that the altars of these, these demon gods, these altars would be torn down and lives would be saved spiritually and physically. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.